that line that we sang on bridge number five. <laughs> it says, because he's not done with me yet. <clears throat> he's not done with me yet. There's so much more to this story. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. We are, none of us are done yet. Um, the uh, passage we're looking at today comes from Acts chapter 9. This is the last uh, sermon from this series that we're doing. Uh, we are taking communion today. If you're worshiping online, go ahead and get some communion stuff ready uh, during the service. But uh, we're going to take communion today. And what I, I would like us to focus on is what's the next part of your story? What, what's, the, what's the thing God's been leading you through or in this season of like, there's something going on in your life. There's, there's a change happening. So many people are going through massive change in their life right now. And there's more to your story than just right here where you are right now. There is more to it than what you see here today. And so uh, the passage that we're looking at is uh, uh, Saul, uh, who ends up becoming Paul. Saul is one of the biggest persecutors of the church when we meet him here. Uh, and then he ends up becoming the biggest evangelist and church planter of his time throughout the rest. A good thing for us that God was not done yet with Saul because Saul turned into Paul and became something completely different. He's not done with you yet either. We'll get into all that. I'm, I'm ruining my introduction, which is actually pretty good this time. So I'll come back to that now. Uh, I grew up on a small farm in Croton, Ohio. Anybody Croton? Yes. Hartford Fair people. All right. Egg farms. Woohoo. Yeah. Uh, we had all those things going for us. Uh, my sister and I, where is, is Heather's here? We lived on this hill. It was like the only hill in Croton, and we lived on it. And then the next hill next to us had kids that were about our age, and we were like the only kids around. We were it. Uh, so we didn't get uh, to play with a lot of kids except for those, those guys. Um, we would go over to their house or play, and they would come to our house. We would go over most of the time. Like I, The memory I have now is we went there a lot, and they had a pool. <laughs> So, so we, we enjoyed that time. Um, and we would get wrapped up in whatever we were doing, and we'd forget to go home for dinner, okay? Now, a lot of you probably have that memory growing up as kids, especially your 80s, 90s kids. Like, we're feral now, you know? Like, they just sent us out into the world. Don't come home until it's dark or you're hungry or whatever, right? Um, so that's many of our stories. Mom would try to yell for us, but obviously we couldn't hear it from one hill to the next hill. We sound like total hill jacks here when I say that, but it's true. It's just the way it was. So mom had dad put in a dinner bell just like this one. Remember, anybody have those dinner bells, like those giant bells and she a little rope on it and she'd ring that thing and the bell would call us home. If we were outside, that sound was unmistakable. You knew that the bell was ringing and the bell was time for us to come home. If we could hear it, uh, we, if we were outside, we could definitely hear it, um, but if we were inside, we might not hear it, or we could pretend that we didn't hear it, turn the music up or turn the TV up a little bit louder so that I, went in and I never, never heard it. I didn't, didn't hear you calling for us to come home. Uh, we would just keep on keeping on with whatever we were doing and maybe even try to finagle dinner out of the neighbor's house, you know, like maybe, depending on what they're having. Maybe we want to stay there and eat instead of going home to where 
we were being called to come home to. That bell was our call to come home. It meant that we were to change our behavior from doing this one thing that we were doing, change that, and go back to the thing that was calling us home, to move on to where we actually belong. That's what we see in our passage today. Saul receives a call, and he has a choice to change his position, to change his behavior, and his response. And he was very famous in the area for persecuting the church. He was breathing murderous threats, is what uh, some translations say. Um, He was famous about this. He was trying to shut down this fledgling Jesus movement in the Jewish system before it ever began. He was hunting them down, these young Christians. He was taking them away. And so what we see in this story is Saul being filled with the Holy Spirit and transforming his life. The words filled with the Spirit here happen with two people um, in this story. So I'm going to read it to you. It's a little bit lengthy, but we'll try not to be boring about it. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that meaning means like the Jesus movement, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's in Jerusalem. He's asking for permission with letters to show that he is who he is so he can go in and arrest these Jewish people who are believing and practicing the Christian faith. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. It's important. They didn't see anything. They heard it, but they didn't see the light. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't see that. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So his eyes were open, but he was blinded, blinded by the light. Thank you. So, They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. This is verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, so Straight Street, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, uh, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's like, I'm not going to go see that guy. He can arrest me. I, I know what he's up here to do. And he has authority to do it. I don't want to go see him. But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, I will show him how to carry my name before the Gentiles. Uh, sorry, there's a bunch of lines here. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. 
And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So there's kind of like three points classic sermon, three points that I want to highlight out of that scripture when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit progressing us in our lives. Like, like the way I see this one is Saul was at one point in his life and then he progressed to another because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And the first thing is it caused him to change direction. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it causes us to change some sort of direction. When there's a call, it calls us to change. Saul was a fervently busy guy, but he was busy persecuting Christians. He, he was doing the, the good work of his faith, but he could no longer carry on the business of his normal life. He had to make an adjustment in his life to accommodate the call that God placed on his life. He was progressing. He could no longer do this because now he's got to go on and do that. When we were kids at the neighbor's house, we could most often hear the bell ringing to call us home, and then we would reluctantly change our direction and go home in order to be obedient. However, we didn't do it every time. We didn't always answer the call to come home. Sometimes we ignored it. Yeah, there were times we chose to ignore the call because we were too busy having a good time doing whatever it was we were doing. I don't want to go home right now. This is too much fun. It's too great here to stop now doing this to go on and do the thing we're supposed to do. So we ignored it. But trust me, when we ignored that call to come home, it was at our own peril. Because if mom had to come down the hill and up the other hill to come fetch us, we were going to go home anyway, and it was going to be unpleasant the entire way. Love you, mom. Love you. You trained us well, though. We probably made that mistake once, maybe twice, right? You did not want to make mom walk down that hill and get you on the path you're supposed to go on. Sometimes we could sense that the call to come home was coming, so we would hide from it. Um, we knew it was about time for that bell to ring, so we would put ourselves in a position where we could no longer hear the bell to ring. We could not hear it any longer. Again, it was not something we did often because it inflicted harm on ourselves. But it seemed more plausible to explain away. Well, we just never heard it. We just never, we, we, weren't, we weren't able to hear you. I think you know where I'm going with this. We can ignore the call of God on our life at our own peril. Because likely we will end up doing it anyway. We'll end up going that route anyway. I would hope that if God is calling you to do something that you won't ignore it that you would at least dialogue and argue with God about it upon hearing God's call. Let's work through it together. I think it's okay to argue with God. I think it's okay to be angry with God even. Just don't let your anger cause you to sin. Okay? Dialogue with God about it. Wrestle with God about it. When we place ourselves in a position where we don't even hear God's call at all, that's where we have found ourselves in a position of danger. Not hearing God's call actually has some 
advantages. First of all, it's easier. It's, it's easier to not even hear God's call. Uh, it's much easier to continue on the status quo than it is to change. It's, it's easier to just keep in this same way of doing or being than it is to change our behavior. It's just easy because God hardly ever calls us to do the easy thing. Right? It's usually, there's usually something difficult in what we're about to do when God calls us to do something. If it were easy, he probably wouldn't have us have to call us to do it. We'd just go do it. We'd just already be flowing in it. If we, uh, 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 if, if we had ignored or didn't hear that bell to call, call, come home, uh, if we didn't have to traipse all the way over those hills, down the one hill, up the other hill to get back home, um, the, the other house had cooler toys than we did, or at least newer toys. It was just easier to stay there. It would be easier to have a call to stay. But usually there's a call to do something else. The call doesn't always promise to be fun, but what it always does, in my experience, the call is always fulfilling. It's fulfilling. Answering the call is better for you, maybe at least less painful because you don't feel the, the punishment or the difficulty of not answering the call. Answering the call tastes better. It's healthier. Remember I told you that if we liked the smell of whatever their mom was cooking, we might angle to stay. Um, but they fried everything, so it very seldom was actually better for us. <laughs> mom had good food for us to eat, healthier um, Staying there, hearing the call, uh, I mean, staying there and ignoring the call is an unhealthy practice. Listening for the call and moving upon the call towards it is where we find health. God's call inspires us to change, to, to redirect, to change direction. When God's call we, calls, we have to deal with the possibility of changing if we answer it. We can no longer keep doing the thing that we've always been doing. We must change direction. Not always easy, not always fun, but always fulfilling in one way or another. So there's a change of direction. I think there's this too. It looks differently for every person. It's going to look different for you than it looks for me. And it'll look different for, there's maybe 60, 70 people in here. It's going to look different for each one of you, 60, 70 different ways. Look for, uh, here's, here's Saul. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I, I don't know anybody else that has experienced just that. That happened for Saul. It didn't happen to me that way. And probably not, I mean, I'd love to hear your story if it happened to you that way. Another little thing about when we were kids is we had a thing called a landline phone. Anybody else have landline how about this party line? The, yeah, we had it for a minute when we were little party line. Like you have to pick up the phone. You could hear your neighbors talking on the phone. Guys, I'm old, okay? Like, but also very rural. That's just the way it was. Nowadays, though, everybody carries. I don't have my phone on me, but everybody carries a phone um, in their pocket. Just about everybody has one. We heard a ringtone earlier. You don't have to confess to it, but that. But we'll know who you are if you answer this question. Is that your only ringtone? Or do you have other ringtones for other people? Like, you know how you, like, 
when cell phones first came out, you could buy ringtones that you could like put with specific people in your contact list. Okay, you're, I'm, now we're catching up to speed on age here. Um, I don't know that that happens as much anymore. I never once figured that out, how to do that. I suppose you could still probably do it. So you identify the, the person who's calling based on the tone that's coming through your phone. It's a unique ringtone. I think there's a unique ringtone for you in God's call on you. Like, it's special for you, the way God calls you. There's a specific way that God uses to get the attention of each one of us. And God caters to our need to hear him in a particular way. Because I won't hear in other ways. I only hear this certain way. And so God calls us in a way that will get our attention. You progress in your call at a different pace and in a different way than anybody sitting with you. And I progress in a different way in a different pace than you. I'm on a journey that's unique to me. And each of you are on a journey that's unique to you. Now we knew what the sound of that bell meant. We understood it. And it was just for us. And that call went out and we knew what to do. We go home. For Saul, he was threatening beatings, jail. He was even there for the first martyr. He held the coats of the people who killed Stephen. Stephen, right? Yeah, Stephen. Do you think it would have worked for him if his experience of the resurrection of Jesus was just a peaceful, inward leading, a still small voice? What if that was Saul's experience? I think it would have been easy for him to ignore. Like this thing that I feel just something inside of me. Oh well. Like it's probably not Jesus because he's dead. You know, that's that would he would I'm not saying that. That's what Saul was thinking, okay? But for Saul it was sudden. The verse said there was suddenly a light flashing around them, and he needed something big and bold to get his attention so that he could actually respond to this call, because I don't think otherwise he would have heard it. The men that were with him, however, did not see it. They were right there. They couldn't see it. The Acts record indicates the fellow travelers heard the voice. They did not see the light. But they witnessed Saul experience it. They could see Saul going through something, right? They could see there's, there's an actively a change happening in this man's life. Now that his eyes are open, he cannot see. Something's going on in him. Jesus wasn't calling these men. He was calling Saul. There's another figure, Ananias, in the story. He's called to go to be the one to greet Saul of Damascus and, and like kind of disciple him. And Jesus called Ananias, and Ananias really had no problem with the conversation in the end. He knew exactly who Jesus was, and he already recognized Jesus' voice. He didn't really want to go right away, but eventually he, they got it sorted out. He even argued, right? He argued with Jesus about his call. You want me to go see that guy? He's persecuting people. The point is, God uses specific means to speak to each of us. It's different for each one of us. Your call will look differently than other people. Your progression in the Holy Spirit will look differently than other people. And I think we need to be careful about assuming what somebody else's call should look like. I don't think that it's fair for us to 
assume that somebody else's progression of faith should look like ours. I'm not sure uh, what I would have thought if I was one of the guys on the journey with Saul that day. Like, is this guy being for real? Why is he dropping on the ground like that? This is nuts. He looks ridiculous. This is not the way these things go. Is this actually happening? And I may not believe it because it's such a departure from what I knew of Saul to begin with. Right? Saul, this isn't the normal Saul that we know. And besides, I'm not the one actually experiencing I'm just observing Saul experience it. I can only see the change that's taking place, and he looks crazy. Something's gone off the chain for Saul. So we have to be careful about making judgment calls on someone because their progression in faith takes a different path or looks differently than what we expect of them or what we even imagine it should look like. The other danger is when we assume that our story is too boring. Like too often we compare our story with Saul's or somebody's like it. My story's not that cool. I mean, I've just kind of been raised in the church and I've known about God all my life and I've never experienced Jesus like that. And that's true of me. I mean, my story's pretty boring. I've probably told it before. I probably, maybe even here, I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was in second grade and it turned me around completely. No more drinking, no more wild women. <laughs> I stopped playing in the bars, you know, piano, I mean. <laughs> of course not. My life didn't change that much. There's really very little change in it. But it's still my story of how God started the progression of my faith. You have a story, too. Some of your stories I know. Most of them I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if your story's short, long, boring, exciting. I don't know what it is, but I hope that your story includes God and the progression that God can put inside of you in the holy form of the Holy Spirit. God has carefully chosen you, and perhaps he's even spoken to you in a way that you could hear, the way that you could understand. He's your, used your specific ringtone to call you up and say, come on this journey with me. And that journey might look crazy to other people. The people who are witnessing it on the outside may be like, that's messed up, it doesn't work that way. It's what's working for you. So we can change direction. We're gonna look differently than one another. And then this last one is the one I don't like most. Your progression in faith, power of the Holy Spirit, usually lacks details. There's really not a giant plan there. God might have it, but we don't get the download of the plan most often. Here's what it says, uh, verse 6, but get up and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. Get up, go to the city, then I'll tell you what to do. Huh? He, he had a plan of what he was going to do in Damascus. And then God's like, now you're blinded, get up, go to the city, and then I'll tell you what to do. It reminds me of Abraham, who was told uh, to when he's leaving Ur, his hometown, uh, go to the land I'll show you, is what God tells him. And he just does. And he goes until he gets to the land of Canaan. This is the place you're supposed to go. Just go, and you, you'll know it when you get there. Man, that drives me bonkers. I need a plan. I want to know where I'm going. I think this sentence here, get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what to do, illustrates so many wonderful things for us. 
And one of them is we don't need the full details of what's going to happen. For this call, it was a simple directive. Get up, go to the city. Get up and go. Get up and go. And probably that's all Saul could handle at that point. What if God had said, Saul, get up, get on a boat, and go to all of the cities around the Mediterranean Sea and plant a bunch of churches for me? That would not have worked for Saul at that point. That's what he ended up doing. He took three missionary trips, planted church. Saul, here's what I want you to do. I know you're on the Damascus Road right now, but I want you to go to Rome and be imprisoned for my sake and probably die at the hands of the Romans because of me. That's what I want you to do. Saul would not have done that. Instead, Saul got what he needed when it was time to get it. Right now it was, go to Damascus, and then I'll show you what to do after that. If you don't obey the first simple directive, you won't get the rest of it. Matthew 25, Jesus says, be, be obedient in the, uh, in the small things, and then you'll be given greater things. Just take care of this small thing. Sometimes it's hard to do that small thing at the front end. Like the, the dinner bell for my sister and I. We knew we had to go, but it didn't tell us what was for dinner. Like, two rings for mac and cheese, you know, is three for chicken. You know, no, we just got one. This is a ring. Just come home. Then you'll be given other instructions. Then you'll be ready to enjoy what's prepared for you at the table. But we get frustrated when, when all we hear from God is get up and go, then I'm going to tell you what to do. We want to know right now what God wants for us right now and 10 years from now. I remember I was going through a, a transitional time, and uh, this was probably, Jesus, about almost 20 years ago. And uh, I was a youth pastor at a church, and I was like, it just feels like it's time to go. I can't explain it. I don't really have anywhere to go to, but it feels like it's time to go. And I was talking to a, a mentor about it, and as a couple, uh, him and his wife. And, and she said, it's kind of like when you're driving at night, and you have your lights on, and you can see, what, maybe 15, 20 feet in front of you while you're driving down the road, you can see what's right here. You know what happens this week or in the next month, the next year. So you can see right there. But we want God to turn on the bright lights so we can see 50, 60 yards down the road. We can see all the pitfalls that are out there. We can see everything that's coming in front of us. We want God to have both of those going for us at all times so we can see the near term and the far term, the long term out there. But the problem is when we are focused so much on that, we usually fail to take care of this. And we miss the deer coming right out in front of us that we slam right into. We miss the pothole that's right here because we're too focused on what's way out there. We can't get to out there because we haven't focused on what's right here, right in front of us. Sometimes we just need to get up and go and wait for God to tell us what to do next. Usually the next thing is get up and go. And you get up and go. And then the next thing, you just get up and go. We have to take care of first things first. Be faithful in the small things right in front of you, and then you'll be given responsibility and blessing in the greater things. I don't know how God's progressing the power of the Holy Spirit in you today, but I can tell you this. Every time, at least for me, every time there's a next step in my progression of faith, it causes a change of direction. 
it always looks differently than everybody else's. And most of the time, there's a lack of details. It's, it's just not laid out for me cleanly. So I'll ask you, what, where are you in that? Are you to a place where God's progressing you in your faith? Are you seeing the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life? And does it look differently than what other people have experienced? Try not to judge others when they're experiencing their differently. You know, we, we tend to look down on other people. We don't know what they're going through. Let's just remember theirs is a different journey than ours. You don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing within them. You can only witness it. Are you feeling led to change directions a bit? There's a lot of people changing direction these days. And it's scary because there's not a lot of details around that. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just taking this next step. Here's what I would like to say to you now, now that I've asked those couple questions. I would like to say this. You don't have to go alone. You're not alone in your journey. The changes that are happening in your life, the change of direction that you're facing, the lack of details that's around it, you don't have to go by yourself. You have the community right here. We can journey that with you. We're all here for you. And we're going to commit to not judge you. We'll only act as companions on the journey. And sometimes the person in the passenger seat can make suggestions and give some directions, but we're really here to just be with you on your journey and whatever that journey looks like, just like you are with us on our journey in this journey of faith together. We're going to take communion together. I want to uh, come down here. Jesus was on a, a journey from, it took about three years from the time he got his uh, 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 step of faith in the wilderness where he went in with the Holy Spirit and came out full of the Holy Spirit. And it's about three years that he walked with his disciples and, and worked with them. I'll take care of that. Okay. Thank you. Um, he was uh, the culmination of that uh, we know as the Last Supper. And the representation that we have here at the table is bread and juice, because at the end of the supper, um, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you take of this, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, and he poured it out, and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Every time you take of this, do it in remembrance of me. And so, God, we come here today, Lord, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon this gift of bread and cup, that it may be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We know what this representation is, the progression of, of your faith, Jesus, in God the Father, Jesus who did not want to take that next step. Jesus said, if you could take this cup from me, take it, nevertheless, not my will but thine. And we know what happened after that. His body was broken. His blood was spilt. And now we share in that by taking this common bread, this common cup. And Lord, we ask that you progress us in our faith. Even if it's the thing we don't want to do specifically, may we say also like Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So God, we come to this table, each of us on our own journey, 
it might look differently than other people. It might force us to change directions. It might not even be a desirable thing to do. But Lord, we ask that you give us the courage, the nourishment of faith to be able to take this step and be the people you've called us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name.